What's happening, far, far away family? Welcome to Star Wars Audio Archives. So how's everyone doing today? I hope all is well on your side of the galaxy. Nothing much going on out here on the Outer Rim. Okay, maybe a few things are happening, like a long-running debate about Imperial Walkers. One that Luke Skywalker himself tried to clear up. Mark Hamill tried to settle the question on a Twitter post. The screen icon weighed in on the decades-old question. It may not be the biggest debate in the galaxy, but plenty of Star Wars fans have wondered over the years. How exactly do you pronounce ATAT? Is it like at at or do you say each letter ATAT? So Mark Hamill offered some help. On the Star Wars official Twitter account, they recently joked about the Imperial Walkers by putting over a poll which the answer was at at. Either way, the tweet drew thousands of replies and retweets. Then writer Tara Dublin asked Hamill for his take on the subject. But Hamill wasn't done. He added another message and briefly pinned it to his profile. He indicated that there might not be a right answer to the question and said that it came straight from the creator George Lucas. The franchise has embraced Lucas's vision on this regard. Greenrand noted in 2020, longtime Lucasfilm insider Dave Filoni spoke out on the topic. Dave said you could say at at or you could say ATAT or you can even say Walker. He is for all three. Because in the Clone Wars, I have the Imperials say Walker, I have them say at at, and I have them say ATAT. This makes them all right and part of canon. So if George and Dave say you can say all three, then I'm guessing you can say all three. Now some fans might want to argue that, but when the creator says it's so, then that's what it is. So moving on to the next topic, something that I would like to get your take on. If you could remove one thing from the canon timeline, what would that one thing be? On Reddit, Star Wars fans were asked just that, to name one thing that they could erase from canon. And I know us Star Wars fans can be very critical at times. It's a truth universally, or at least galactically, while the original trilogy is sacred and the Mandalorian is widely adored, there is plenty about the saga, especially in the Disney era, that diehard Star Wars fans just can't stand. But if you had the power to remove one single thing, what would we pick from Star Wars canon? Reddit user Khan underscore R2112 was the one to kick this hornet's nest. In a post, he asked Star Wars community for their answers. This got the ball rolling, and a lot of fans said Metachlorians. Other suggestions was the Book of Boba Fett's Space Vespas. But the one that got picked the most, can you guess it? Yep, it was Palpatine's resurrection. Somehow fans wish Palpatine hadn't returned. Some fans even went far enough to say Anakin being the chosen one, which removes the whole point of the Skywalker saga. Me personally, I think it was the way that they killed off Luke. They could have done so much better than that, but that's just my opinion. So what do you think? Shoot me an email at sway.audio at gmail.com and tell me the one thing that you would remove from canon if you had a chance. Now the last piece of info that I wanted to share with you is actually a recommendation. Just when you thought that you had learned everything about the making of Star Wars, along comes a new exploration of the space opera phenomenon. Icons Unearthed Star Wars just landed on Vice TV, the first part of a six-size docuseries of the original Star Wars trilogy and its three prequels. Each chapter targets one of the first six Star Wars movies. It delivers an addictive dose of new interviews and rare behind-the-scenes footage and archival material to tantalize even the most hardcore fans. Filmmaker Brian Volkweiss and his talented team have served up a perfect pop culture delicacy. They had a string of nostalgic, joy-filled documentaries on Netflix. Now the team is back with an all-new look into the hidden history of Star Wars and what it took to get this epic film onto the big screen nearly 50 years ago. Vice TV offered the first installment on July 12th. It focused on the hurdles facing director George Lucas as he attempted to film his dream sci-fi project. Plus brand new interviews with Anthony Daniels, Roger Christensen, Billy D. Williams, Paul Hirsch, Philip Tippett, Richard Baker, Ken Rolleston, John Dykstra, Julia Glover, Gus Lopez, Tom Spina, and many more. 
plus first ever on-screen interview with Star Wars editor Marcia Lucas, who is George Lucas's ex-wife, which is one of the most shocking events in Volkweiss's entire career. It's only her second interview ever and her first on-camera interview. Volkweiss explained he went to Hawaii to interview her, and it was a long drive from her house back to his hotel. Even though he had a ton of calls to make and emails to return, he sat in the car on the way back just looking out the window, thinking about their five-hour talk. To the best of his knowledge, much of what Lucas told him and his crew nobody had ever heard before. And that really changed the view of the show. A lot of things that made Star Wars not a crappy B-movie was her. The editing and fighting to keep things in she wanted to keep. She was there before George was George, before Lucas films, and gave us a point of view that might not necessarily be just about Star Wars, but the amount of risk that he took over and over. I don't think that people understand how insane it really was. She made Brian understand why George had the level of tolerance that he had. George was making independent films for $30 million a piece. Every time he should have played it safe, he didn't. He pushed the boundaries of filmmaking because he believed in his dreams. And I am certainly happy that he did just that. New episodes air on Vice TV and I highly recommend that you check them out. Anyway, I thought that you might like to know about that. Now we have a story to get to because when we left off last week, Obi-Wan was having some trouble figuring out what to do with the whole Nymordian situation. He had to figure out how to convince them to let a Jedi come instead of Palpatine. So he goes to get some advice from his old friend Dex, which turned out to be a very good idea. So let's see what's happening now. Oh, but first we gotta drop the intro. <laughs> We would be honored if you would join us. Anakin Skywalker. The view above looked like stars, though Anakin knew better. They both did, really. The pinpricks of light being blinking status beacons or glowing signage from higher levels. That was life in Coruscant's underbelly among its endless rows of massive structures. But it was romantic for anyone willing to pretend the lights were stars. And the industrial fumes puffing from nearby stacks and vents were fog. The artificial night sky made the underworld feel like a completely different place. Not just a location of the Republic, but a portal to another dimension. In Amandasi Market, a new smell came every few meters. The Padme led Anakin to one very specific rusty stall. They sat on a stack of rusty crates, something that may have been in that very location since the days of the High Republic. Did things change down here? In a world of nearly perpetual dark? A population only concerned with the next job, the next sleep, the next meal. Ironic, Anakin thought to himself. Because while he wondered about the culture and safety of the local residents, Padme focused entirely on the immediate. The frana cat in her hands, metallic foil wrapper preserving its heat. This is really, really good, she said taking large bites without the decorum usually found in governmental banquet halls. Maybe it was because none of the handmaidens lingered around to see it. And, she added, finishing the franicot in a gulp, I don't want to know what's in it. She dabbed the napkin against her lips. You haven't touched yours yet. Afraid it's not going to be close to the real thing? The real thing being a franicot 
a dish commonly found on desert planets. The term delicacy went a little too far. Variations existed based on local meats and culture, but nearly every desert planet that Anakin knew of had some form of franicat. A dish prepared in a makeshift oven dug into the ground to take advantage of a planet's natural heat and lack of water. After cooking, the local meats and vegetables were served in a thin bread-like wrap. He still remembered the exact steps to go from their home to the Mos Espa vendor with a ground oven right next to her stall. And if they'd managed to get a few extra parts for bartering, his mother would take him there for a bonus indulgence. Something far tastier than the bland dishes they typically ate. How did you even find out about this? He asked Padme. Oh, people in government know where the good food is. They talk. And once I heard Bale compare it to a meat griller on a desert world, I thought of you. We just haven't had a chance to try it. Padme's brow furrowed with a sudden hesitation. Annie, I'm so sorry. I know the last time we were on Tatooine, I was just so excited to find this for you. I didn't even... No, no, it's not that. He put the franicat up to his nose, taking in the aroma of spices and meat. It was close, close enough that it triggered warm images of the dinner table with his mother. Those are good memories. And this, he said, holding it up, is a new memory. With you. It's perfect. Something's bothering you, though. Sort of. It's not what you think. And it's not this, I just... Anakin hesitated, suddenly feeling like the little boy on Tatooine, so flustered at the sight of her, walking into Watto's shop, that he blurted out the first thing that came to mind. I, uh, have something for you. A gift? Annie, you never need to worry about those things. It's not much. You know, the Jedi and our rules about possession. I can't give you things, he said, opening the pouch on his belt. His fingers wrapped around a disc-shaped gold pendant, its necklace chain dangling as he pressed it into her hand. But I can give you a piece of me. Padme held it up, the harsh light from the vendor's window enough to put the object in full view. Is this my Padawan braid? She traced the braid, now coiled into a spiral and encased in carbonite, as it sat within the pendant's simple design. To new beginnings. Even in the dim light, Anakin could see the flush come to Padme's cheeks, and though she'd been known to sway entire systems through the power of words, her mouth remained open yet silent. But she didn't need to say anything. The look in her eyes was enough. She leaned against him, and even though she put the chain around her neck, her hand still held on to the pendant, as if it could keep them together despite the galactic turmoil constantly around them. Okay, he said after a minute. She turned to him inquisitively. Now, I'm going to try the Franicat. Now I think that we need to discuss some of the things going on in this park. 
First off is the way that they describe the lower levels of Coruscant. The people in the lower level had to pretend that the building lights were stars, and they lived in a perpetual world of darkness. Their words, not mine, sounds horrifying if you ask me. The Republic is so worried about the rest of the galaxy, what about these poor people? Because this seems like a very bad situation. Another way it is described, it was like a portal to another dimension. That's just wrong if you ask me. The second thing, and I know you guys might say that I'm stuck on this, but the whole galaxy is at war and Anakin and Padme are on a date, hiding out in this terrible place so they won't be discovered. I guess that's why I favor the Sith. They don't have no rules about attachment. If they want a wife, they just go and take one. And they don't have to hide from anyone. But I think the two of them could be doing something more constructive like finding Dooku or Grievous, something that could end the war. But they are down here eating some delicacies from a desert world. We have all seen the meat hanging on Tatooine, and it sure didn't look like a delicacy to me. I haven't seen any food from a Star Wars desert planet that I would call a delicacy. Padme states that the politicians talk about where to find the best food. So that means that these same politicians come down here and eat and do nothing to help these poor people. Sounds like our world's politicians would fit right in. But despite all this, Anakin tells Padme that he has a gift for her. She tells his broke Jedi self that he doesn't need to give her anything. He makes a joke about Jedi's having possessions and says that he couldn't give her anything but part of himself. Then he reaches in his pouch and pulls out a locket. Inside the locket was his Padawan braid. It had been encased in carbonite. So at least we know that Han wasn't the first thing that he put in carbonite. He had been doing it for years before he ever met Han. What if Padme could see into the future? Like she touched the pendant and seen Anakin putting the father of her grandson in carbonite. I wonder if she would have had the same reaction because her actual reaction left her speechless, which is amazing, because throughout the films in the Clone Wars animated season, she was always interrupting Anakin. So this must have shocked the heck out of him. So let's jump back into the story and find out what happens next. It was close to Tatooine cooking. Close enough that Anakin considered ways he could discreetly get credits, find a speeder, and enjoy it from time to time. He wasn't sure if war would make all that harder or easier to do. Then he gave himself a mental kick. Here he was, sharing a frozen Jorl cream sundae with Padme in complete anonymity, and his mind wandered back to war. He told himself to lock into the moment, to simply be with her, and he tracked her gaze over to the trio of children sitting next to one of the stalls, Scooting a toy pod racer crudely constructed out of a pair of cans, string, and a stick. What are you thinking? Anakin asked, though he knew the answer. Those younglings, she said, digging into the Sunday between them. I worry about them. Will they ever escape the underworld? Do they know what's out there? Do they realize a war is breaking out? He knew it. She was always thinking about how to make things better. Just like when she sent Sabe to Tatooine in a quest to free those enslaved there. Thoughts probably churned right now about education subsidies for the underprivileged younglings of the lower levels, about how to use her influence as a senator to speak with local governments for an outreach program, that sort of thing. He knew her heart and her mind. And while that was so much of why he loved her, it also kind of irked him in the moment. I'm sorry, she said, catching herself. We don't have much time together. We shouldn't spend it talking about the war. It's just... She held her spoon up to her mouth, paused in contemplation. Kato Neimoidia. Of course. 
For that brief instant, Anakin didn't care who bombed Kedone Moria or why. He just wished it would all disappear. That the sunless realm of Coruscant's underworld really was a portal to another dimension. One without the Galactic Senate or the Jedi Order. But then guilt quickly draped over that. An understanding of the civilians suffering on the planet, where right now emergency medical crews attempted to rescue Namorians from the debris. I don't know what to believe with the bombing, or why. The way this war has started, it's not just the violence. It's bad faith and disinformation, misrepresentation under the mask of independence. Her words came at the pace of a public speaker as if she stood in a floating pot in the Senate chamber instead of sitting with a bowl of frozen dural cream. I know the Republic gets stuck in bureaucracy. I've lived it. But to claim that... She paused again, her human side taking back over from the politician. I'm sorry again. Don't be. I want to hear what you have to say. It's a trap. I don't know by whom or why, but it's a trap. That's why we got to the temple so quickly today. To catch the Chancellor before he made any decisions. I'm sure the Republic Security Council wants to treat it purely as a military operation, but diplomacy is required for these. Her head tilted, and she gave that thoughtful look. The one where she squinched her nose up, a line forming between her eyebrows. Now you're just humoring me. Well, he said, Finally releasing the smile that had been building up. You put up with the racetrack. I'm returning the favor. No more war, no more politics, she said with a wave of her hands. No more racing. We love bringing you more Star Wars, and it is because of our partners that we can do this week after week. So we invite you to be one of those partners. For as little as a dollar a month, you can help us keep this going. Your support will give us the ability to create future episodes, as well as provide you with the best sounding show on your playlist. And to express our appreciation, we will give you a shout out on our mid-series show that we do in the middle of every book. You will also be automatically entered in all future giveaways. All you have to do is go to the show notes and click that listener support link. Now let's get back to the show. An idea sparked in Anakin's mind, a variation on a lesson designed to help younger Padawans focus under duress. But surely it worked now. Look over there. He pointed across the small courtyard. Pick something you see, the first thing. Her brow crinkled at his request, but she played along. An exaggerated squint as she observed. I see a balloon trailing that young Quarren. Now what? Keep looking at it. Just stare at it. As she looked, Anakin knelt behind her, close enough that his lips pressed her ear. All that exists right now is you, me, and that balloon. He whispered. Just us. She whispered back. Just us. He said, feeling the warmth radiating off her cheek and a balloon. A gust of wind blew, something probably created by a combination of exhaust vents, passing traffic, and barely functioning industrial fans. It contained the stink of so many smells that never should have blended together. And Anakin looked, 
really looked at the lives of the underworld dwellers. Other than the lack of sand and heat, it really wasn't that different from growing up on Tatooine. I want to help these people, Anakin said. I don't know how, but I want to do something. That's my arena. Padme craned her neck, kissing Anakin on the cheek. You just keep us safe so I can do something about it. Still kneeling behind her, he placed his left hand on her shoulder. She reached up and took it, their fingers interlacing, even with their awkward position. And though he could have moved, the moment was a perfect encapsulation of who they were. And he didn't want to break it. Not just yet. I considered requesting you for escort duty, since you're a Jedi Knight now, Padme said, a playfulness to her tone despite the topic shifting it again to their politics. But I decided against it. Why is that? Because secret dates mean I get to spend time with my husband, instead of... Her voice changed to a deeper formal tone. Jedi Knight, protector of the Republic. Before he could react, she stood up, then took him by his mechanical hand. Flowers still glowing behind her ear, she tugged him along. He walked in step with her, away from the rusted crates that doubled as stools and toward the path leading out of Amandasi Market. Wait, we're not done with the Sunday, Anakin said, glancing back at the almost but not quite finished dessert. I think we can let it go. You'll see. Padme pulled with intensity and picked up her pace. They wove their way through the mix of underworld locals and curious surface travelers until breaking past the perimeter of the market where their speeder sat parked. She opened the storage compartment and pulled out the bag she'd packed right when they picked up the rental vehicle from the dealer several levels below the planet's surface. She held it up to show him, but he failed to catch anything special about it. It appeared to be just what it was. It's a bag. Am I missing something? It is a bag. But sometimes what's important is what's inside. Padme kept her eyes locked with his, a mischievous smile on her face, as she tugged on the bag's drawstrings, opening it enough to pull out... folded blankets? But the look in her eye gave all the context he needed. This was the Padme he adored. Someone who spent most of her days understanding the nuances of countless beings to do right for them. Yet on occasion, a fire burst through. Something brighter and more intense than the hottest sun. When she allowed it. Like now. She walked to the side of the rented speeder, a barely functioning vehicle covered in dents and grime. A far cry from Jedi starfighters or the elegant designs of Naboo transports, and unfurled the blankets in the back seat. A lot of quiet places in these lower levels, she said. You're the pilot. Think you can find us somewhere private? Okay, that was an all right part. As an adult, I can appreciate some of it. Being able to spend time with the one you love is an important part of life. But as a Star Wars fan and someone that loves action, I found it to be kind of boring. A true to the name filler part. And I know, I know, 
We need Philip Parks to add context, but I would much rather have some action. But I did notice something about the book that I don't like. I don't care for the way it jumps between characters, how it starts each chapter with the character's name. I know it is to inform us on who they will be covering in that part, but it's just kind of weird to me. It's like the parts are making a quick U-turn in the story, like uh, switch directions instead of flowing together. It just makes it feel kind of harsh. But there are a few parts that I really enjoyed. I like the way that Padme wanted to help those people. It showed her heart's true nature, and Anakin as well. He felt as if they were like those on Tatooine, slaves to their situation, and he wanted to free them. You know, that's one thing that I never understood. How Anakin started out as a slave on Tatooine, then became Vader, second in command of an empire that made people into slaves. He became the very thing he wanted to end. I guess there was more to Obi-Wan saying what he said. You have become the very thing you swore to destroy. But that's a discussion for a very different show. So I think it's about that time we get to the quote of the week, and it comes to us from the opening of The Clone Wars, Season 2, Episode 13, Voyage of Temptation. It said, fear not for the future, weep not for the past. I was watching the episode the other day, and that quote just jumped right out at me. So I thought we would talk about it on the show. Honestly, most people live their lives like that, as if the future isn't promised. I have heard people say it so many times. Why try? I might die tomorrow. So they just live their life day by day, and whatever comes, just comes. But this is a fear of the future, a way of dealing with the fear of death. Then 40 years pass, and they look back and cry over their wasted life. All of their childhood dreams and ambitions are gone. I can promise you this, the future is coming no matter what you do. You can either work hard to make it better for yourself, or you can do nothing and reap the hardships. Just like another day of life isn't promised to no one, death tomorrow isn't promised either. You must live your life as if you will live forever. Live as if your dreams and goals are all that matter. You don't want to waste any time because time is the one thing that you can't get back. You don't want to wake up one day and realize that you wasted your entire life because at that point, there is no reason to weep. You can't go back and change it. But if you have already at that point, say you are 60 years old, like I said, act as if you will live forever. People are chasing their dreams well into their 90s now. It's never too late to start. Look at my situation. I am 44 years old. I have multiple sclerosis, a disease that there is no cure for. I might lose my ability to walk, see, and many other things but I'm still chasing my dreams and doing what I love to do. Yes, it makes things more challenging, but it's just another obstacle that I must face. Yeah, I might die from it, but the legacy and inheritance we leave for others is how we live forever. Life has never been about living. It's always been about what you leave behind. Do you leave a waste of life or do you do something that will change the world? Do you chase your dreams and find success or do you squander your life away? These are the decisions only you can make. And through the force, I hope you live life to the fullest. Okay, that's it. That's all I have for this episode. Join us next week for part seven of Star Wars Brotherhood. We hope to see you there. Thank you for listening to Sway. Join us next time for more Star Wars adventures. If you would like to listen to other episodes of the show, you can find us and subscribe on your favorite podcast directory. If you enjoyed the show, we would greatly appreciate a five-star review. Once again, thank you for listening and may the force be with you. Sway was created by Keen Eye Shit and is a production of Pick Film Media. This show was produced by Quentin McDaniel, sound designed by Theodore Thompson. I am your host, Kyle, and we will see you next time in a galaxy far, far away.